0: You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 422 The Uncontrolled Power of Superfans Does Everyone Need a Nemesis? And How Queuing for Gig Tickets Has Changed Over the Years? That's all coming up after Paul Simon and The Boy in the Bubble.
1: Dying in a corner of the sky These are the days of miracle and wonder and don't cry, baby
0: don't
1: cry, don't cry It's a turnaround jump shot, it's everybody jump start it's Every generation throws a hero up the pop charts. Medicine is magical, and magical is art. Think of the boy in the bubble and the baby with the battle in the heart. And I believe these are days. Of lasers in the jungle, lasers in the jungle somewhere. Staccato signals of constant information. A loose affiliation of millionaires and billionaires and babies. These are the days of miracle and wonder. This is the long. Baby, don't cry,
0: don't cry
2: Oh, and then I played the Graceland album and I'm reminded what a great collection of songs it is. Uh, it's one, that's one of five singles taken from the album. Feels like uh, yesterday, but it's actually from 1986. And it also has um, the added bonus of uh, reminding me of one of my favourite Seinfeld episodes, Paul Simon and the Boy in the Bubble.
3: I love that. Love that album. And actually, many, many moons ago, I wrote a piece about Graceland for The Rocking Vicar, which I'm sure if listeners want to dig into, they can possibly find. It, I'm sure it will be there in the archives. With Indeed. A, I, I, I That says all I could about how much I love that album.
2: Yeah. Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council, this episode 422. I'm Terence Stackham. And... Well, a massive oversight, this uh, scandalously not mentioned in Theresa May, May's resignation honours list. It's Juliet Harris.
3: After all, because I've been such a fan of her and all of my public statements about her on this podcast and elsewhere have been unerringly positive. So, yes, that is a a, a great pity. But never mind. Hello, everybody.
2: Now, um. After the outstanding uh, success of last week's guest, the singer, uh, which which left our listeners reeling with joy, um, <laughs> the feature. Retur- <laughs> Sorry,
3: there was a There was a conspicuous gap after that, but anyway, do carry on. The
2: feature returns this week for another bash. Now, I think you're going to get this one, Jules, because I think the voice is so distinctive. But we we'll see, even if you do, there's a really good backstory to this. I'm going to play you a. 30-second clip, written by Tony Hatch and Jackie Trent. No shasamming listeners, no sound hounding. You're involved in this as well. Who is this? In 1968, very cheerily backing Britain. From Serpenton to Scunthorpe, Inverness to Belfast.
4: Everybody wants to lend a helping hand. From Liverpool to London, the Isle of Man to Cardiff. Looks as though it's going to sweep the land. In Britain, yes, I'm back in Britain. we're all back in
2: Britain today the is growing, so let's
3: keep it going the good times that song feels very topical um <laughs> yes, it, it,
2: well that's why i chose it because oh. i think um i wouldn't be surprised if modern day governments don't pile in with a similar idea to this any idea who that is singing in nine january 1968
3: I probably have this wrong. I am going to guess at Michael Crawford.
2: Not a bad guess, but uh, it's actually step forward one pace. Bruce Forsyth. Oh,
3: I, 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 yeah, that doesn't surprise me you in can, the slightest, can, actually, yeah. yeah.
2: And he was supporting the very briefly popular. You've got to probably be about 60 years of age plus to remember this. Supporting the very it was very popular for about a month. <laughs> I'm, I'm Back in Britain campaign. Um unfortunately that record only sold a handful of copies and failed to boost the British economy. what a, what
3: a but, pity and what a surprise, yes. But
2: yeah, I'm back in Britain. It was a very it's a very brief movement. People were asked to this is the thing, this is what I thought might get to get you going. Uh, people were asked to work. Uh, an extra 30 minutes each day to boost productivity in shops and factories and so on, but without pay.
3: Mm, I su- I suspected that was going to be the end of your sentence there. Yes, a yes. very, um, very open quotes, patriotic, close
2: quotes. And um, trade unions, of course, soon figured out. It yes. was also a way for companies and managers to exploit their workforce. And it did, as I said, quickly fizzled out. But I, th- I thought, um, oh, you, yeah, but it, for about a month, it was everywhere. I can remember mm. you could go into shops like WH Smith and they would give you a reel of stickers to put on your school books or uh, around <laughs> the house or on your fridge to remind you to back Britain and do an extra half hour of uh, that's, work. That's, every day so, that's something so it's creepy about that,
3: isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, you're completely right. Like, this is very shrewd, yes. It doesn't surprise me if we'll get this back uh, Get this back. 51 years later, although very much enjoying Steph McGovern's uh, comments yesterday at a non-BBC event which she was hosting as a freelancer. Um, it, as she put it, she's proud to be a girly swat. Let's see who's in the job the longest. So it might well be that Boris is not around for long enough to give me a reel of uh, we're back to utopia stickers or whatever it is they will I mean- say. I'm backing. I'm Becky Britain. We're all back. It's quite catchy. You'll probably. I mean, i was going to say it's it's slightly spooling around my head as we're talking now. Really, it's which is you know unexpected, and I have to be honest with you, it's slightly unwelcome. So thank you for that. Super fans, mm. not not the latest invention from James Dyson, but people. Oh, very for, good.
2: Yeah. I, I worked hard on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I
3: thought it needed acknowledging. Yeah.
2: Uh, but people um, for whom. Let's say normal support or even adulation is not enough when following their favorites this week, I was reading about a bloke from Plano, Texas who has made it his life's most important mission to visit every starbucks not not just in America but in the world and since nineteen ninety seven he's visited over fifteen thousand Starbucks. Wow locations. oh my gosh. So, uh, amazingly, he's over halfway there. As there, the thirty thousandth Starbucks was just opened in China uh, a few days ago. So the, uh, he's halfway there. He's not a millionaire. He's a contract computer programmer. So he usually only has weekends to dedicate to what he calls starbucking. Um,
3: <laughs> <laughs> All across the universe, which I'm now singing in my head yeah, as well. You see, great. I'll swap you your irritating song for that irritating song. Oh,
2: thank you britain um it's it,
3: it, <laughs> it, 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 well, earworm wars here it, on paris council it, podcast number 422
2: quite amusingly he says it's hard to talk about a favorite starbucks item because i don't enjoy the taste of starbucks anymore um which is hardly surprising that's, what, to.
3: that's rather heartbreaking isn't it really Sad, isn't he's, it? Now, he's now bound on this kind of quest
2: Yes, and he just doesn't like say taste after 15,000 cups of their no-doubt delicious coffee. Now, Mm. um, this week's, Jules, uh, Jules, you've been looking into the sometimes rather toxic world of the superfan.
3: Yeah, um, it's... Yeah, so so it, it starts off with something kind of quite nice, doesn't it? Really, that someone just really likes a particular thing or really wants to collect a, tick, a particular thing. I quite like the idea of experienced super fans, by the way. The kind of like this chat that's visiting all the spa, Starbucks. Uh, my pal Richard is doing uh, has done the tour of all of the league football grounds, also all of the all of the football clubs playing in the in the what's called league football over here in Britain. So so the Premier League and then the lower divisions, and he's now currently on his Fifth Circuit around the country. He's a very keen Charlton fan. So I really, I think stuff like that is great because it's like a real sort of achievement, I think. And also he says that whenever they go to grounds, if they go to grounds, not during matches, the staff there, when you tell them you're on your kind of tour are always very welcoming and will sometimes get particularly the lower league grounds. And will sometimes, sometimes give you a tour around the ground or give you stuff or just, you know, or make something to make your experience special because they know that you're doing this kind of tour. So things like that, I think are lovely. And I think it's really nice that people, People want to work together to give people experiences. Unfortunately, in the age of social media, and social media seems to be, um, as Homer Simpson once said about beer, the the solu- the cause of and solution to all life's problems. And I feel that that social media is the same at the moment. So this story that I've been looking at um, from the New the New Yorker, which I feel contractually obliged to say the New Yorker, um, uh, mm-hmm. is uh, about this this poor lady called wanna Thompson who. Um, so, it was a super fan of Nicki Minaj, um, who, for people don't know, a young uh, for non young people, although non young people seems pushing the point a bit for reasons I'll explain in a minute, um, is a sort of a rap singing kind of right. star. Who I don't think is that I've heard big, of her. But, yeah, I don't think she's that big over here, but I think she's enormous in America. Um, I think in America she's possibly on um, on a sort of a you know rich uh, uh justin bieber and beyonce um J- J- janelle Moniz. She, i think she is i think she i have to say i think janelle Monae's better personally but still she's quite big over in the states i think um so um so Warner Thomas went on her way. She's on her way to do something. She's been part of the day listening to new music by Nicki Minaj, including um, including a sort of a, a, a track called Barbie Tings. Um, and so Nicki Minaj, uh, sorry, uh, this this Warner Thompson lady, who is apparently just 26, is really keen on Nicki Minaj. Really big into her into her uh, into her lyrics. Really keen that she's one of the few female rappers to become massively famous in the states. Um, but she was concerned that you know her musical progression has stalled as the new, I love how the New Yorker's like wicking that it. it plays things with a straight bat. Um, and this, uh, this uh, tops and points out that Nicki Minaj, I say non young people, she's nearly 40. So Nicki Minaj is older than me. So therefore, because I'm not young, she can't be young either in my view. And, Thompson just speculated on whether or not, you know, should she still be, you know, rapping about doing various things to various people and, you know, how great she is, etc. Even though she's pushing forty, should she not be starting to think about real? Because should she not grow up a bit, basically? Mm. And Thompson tweeted this. Um, so you know how dope it would be. Oh, I hate, I, I hate having to <laughs> that in my voice, but anyway, I hope. And you know how dope it would be if Nikki put out mature content, no silly and then a word beginning with S, just reflecting on past relationships being a boss, hardships, etc. She's touching 40 soon, a new direction is needed. Um, Thompson pops off, does uh, listens to a podcast tape and comes back two hours later and basically her phone is full of people trying to threaten to kill her and direct messaging trying to threaten to kill her. And there's even a message from the Nicki Minaj official account that says um, "Well, this is very, very, very challenging for our PC ratings. So uh, a word for genitalia beginning with D um, you hating um web for bottom and then word for lady of the night got the nerve to have a trinity flag on your page the message added just say you jealous i'm rich famous intelligent pretty and go but wait leave my round things tired of you sucking them thanks for that Nicki minaj the great spokesperson of her generation there but there's something really really malign about the fact that people cannot even express opinions about things without people that claim so the interesting thing about being a superfan is what is being a superfan is it really really loving someone's work to the point where you won't take any criticism of it and you are a supporter all the way and you will support someone whatever they do regardless if it's good or bad or if they do good things or bad things or is a superfan almost like being a kind of a theoretical friend to someone as in you kind Mm. of you support them and you want the best of them and you really love them and you love their work and you buy you know my they do but being a friend sometimes means saying things that are not uniformly positive because you want the best of that person so she has so this lady here Thompson has taken one Thompson has taken the latter approach which I would as a super fan actually which is why Mm. I find British uh, politics frustrating at the moment because certain people that support certain parties seem to be interpreting it as politics as football fandom rather than mm-hmm. politics as thinking mm-hmm. fandom in that you know you you cheer whatever's going on and you must never ever criticize it's actually funny enough some of the football fans i know are the moniest people about their own <laughs> own team but still i think you get my point I do. And, and there is there, and, and this this article goes on to talk about how I mean I don't know if it's the age of and I know millennials get blamed for absolutely everything so I don't want to continue being the oldest millennial swinger in town I don't want to continue to kind of pile on that but there is something interesting about our social media uh, that how social media has changed our attitudes to things and how there is this sense of entitlement and this idea that people can think they can say what they want and again that's an idea that's supported politically I think by what's going on on both sides of the Atlantic at the moment uh, and the way that discourse Is going and also that they you know people think they can say anything and that everything has to please them, if you see what I mean. Now I don't think Orna Thompson was entitled. I think she was she was, you know, I think she was she she made you know some fairly thoughtful comments or at least non non controversial observations in my view, but it seems like when i say people have to please them the flip side of this of course is if something happens that doesn't please you as a fan people are just so unpleasant on the internet i mean the star wars the last jedi seems to be this kind of this sort of crazy kind of there was this huge um many of the new people in star wars the latest star wars films are women and people of color and the Asian American cast member, Kelly Murray Tran was harassed so violently online that she quit social media. And the same thing happened with Leslie yeah. Jones from the Ghostbusters dreamer. And I think that the internet, particularly that fandom has started to become overtaken by this really malign element. The same people that are the make America great again, Trump supporters, the same people that went crazy over Gamergate. There's a, there's a worrying element of the far right about this as well, which is what makes what is making internet fandom. I mean, And it's not fandom and that's the thing isn't it there are people that are genuinely super fans that genuinely love an artist's work and there are people who are using that as a platform for hate i think online i i I don't think there's any other way of putting that and it makes me really sad because this whole article talks about um talks about different kind of ideas of fandom and I find it so sad and such a throwback to a gentler world that they talk about um, the different kind of fandoms and they mention people that are, most people are fans of something, whether it's the Red Sox Hamilton the Musical or Agatha Christie I don't feel that Agatha Christie deserves to be dragged into this really <laughs> I women of a certain age like my mum's my crime book club who really like Agatha Christie, <laughs> they, they're a different world to people that are swearing online at other people but Particularly, the fact that Nicki Minaj did it to one of her own fans doesn't that sum up where we are? We're in a very strange place. I think well, we're in a strange place in the world generally. I think, but the idea of super fandom, that that it has become this kind of malign sort of force, is such a pity. I think.
2: With with so much of this tox, uh, toxicity coming mm. from stands or super fans using the internet in particular, and in particular, um social media i repeat what i've been saying for at least 10 years that to use twitter and instagram in particular you should have to register with id yeah. so that abusers can be readily and I- easily identified uh, i know people some people will always come back to me with that and say oh you know you've got rights of freedom but with rights come responsibilities and that includes facing the law if it needs to be if people threaten or abuse and this is where mm. in particular twitter have got its so wrong it doesn't happen
3: absolutely yeah
2: it doesn't happen quite so much on facebook because on facebook i know there are ghost accounts and people use fake accounts to stalk ex-boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever but in the main people are who they are on facebook because you've you've got to go through a few stages of id and twitter should have at least that if not more um because in if you you know it, well i hate saying real life but you know what i mean if you um write to a newspaper for example with some trenchant views you would either have to write with your name and address or your email address which they should check out before publishing uh to make sure that you're a, a legit person um but on twitter you and i could set up a fake hotmail account in the next two minutes Use that to set up a Twitter account, and well, hey, where we go, we know we can Absolutely. be on at Nicki Minaj or um, Mr Corbyn or Mr Boris Johnson or whoever. Um, with that, you know, with seemingly no way of tracing it back, or, no, or that no, no move to wish to trace it back.
3: Absolutely. And I think the thing, just to come back on that slightly, the thing that, that makes that so malign now, I think, is the worldwide reach, I think, and the way that, that all of it, the, you know, the audience for your stuff online can be so huge. The, the, at the speed at which stuff goes viral on Twitter is really frightening, I think. And I think we've talked before about social media storms that get out of control and stuff like that. But I, I just want to, I'm not defending Twitter at all, but one thing I did note in this article is that it's a really good article, actually, I'm recommend that people have a look at it is that it talks about how um different it hasn't it, it's not new with social media if you see what i mean it's not a um the thing that actually made me slightly grin in this article so it's so long i'm trying to find the paragraph that i'm referring to now it's that so they point out that and this is interesting fan is short for fanatic which comes from the latin fanaticus which means of or belonging to the temple a temple servant or interestingly a devotee and then it became it then it came on to become um sort of associated with or, um orgiastic rites and misplaced devotion even denomi- uh, dem- sorry demonic possession but the interesting thing here is that is that one of the first fan the kind of um sort of you know overwhelmed fan people losing control of themselves fandom examples listomania are you familiar with this
2: um no i assume it refers to the um, centuries ago composer. Yes, Liz. so
3: 1844 described the mass frenzy that occurred at Franz Liszt concerts where audience oh. members fought over the composer's gloves or broken <laughs> piano strings. Charles oh. Dickens readers in New York were so anxious for the final instalment of the old curiosity shop in 1841 that they stormed the wharf where it was arriving by ship and shout, ca- cried out, is Nell dead? In 19 In 1893, oh. Arthur Conan Sir Arthur Conan Doyle sick of so he got sick of writing Sherlock Holmes stories, flung the detective off a cliff in the final problem which ran in the magazine The Strand, killed Holmes, Conan Doyle, Doyle wrote in his diary, like that concise entry. Mm-hmm. After readers cancelled their strand subscriptions by the thousands and oh. formed Let's Keep Holmes Alive clubs, Conan Doyle was forced to resurrect him. Um isn't that interesting? You know that slightly turns, on it has this idea of oh, people behaving such an entitled way now. Maybe it's not just the "let's blame the millennials" problem. Maybe people have always done that. It's just the uh, partly social media means that the spread of the spread of news makes it a worldwide thing. And also, I think there is a viciousness in social media, and we often come back to this because, as you rightly say, people can be anonymous.
2: That's right, and who on would have certain
3: written... platforms, not on all yeah. platforms, but on certain platforms.
2: We would have thought we could have brought together Nicki Minaj and Sir Arthur Conan
3: Doyle. I like to feel this is a better quality of podcast, I must say. Coming next, do we
2: all need a nemesis to make us more
3: successful? That's
2: next, right after Mark B. and Blade.
5: Chips are down, nothing is going your way. You've been recording endlessly, sleepless nights aimlessly. Songs wasted, cause tapes are gathering dust. Step one, we're talented. Step two, who can we trust? The industry that's full of cutthroats, false hopes, money controls, killer of many souls, anything goes. You know the ropes, but if you ain't part of the clique, you ain't part of the plan, so you might as well quit. Crossing the earth, the higher you feel. You could set the world on fire if you had a deal. But let's be real about this. It ain't what you know, it's who you know. It's all a game, and we're all part of the show. What's the role that you play? Can you do it your way? You need a hell of a lot of love being from the UK. You can say what you wanna say, but remember it's rare that you'll be getting continuous airplay. We are the ones now. You know the name. Unstoppable, clever, artistic. You're about to enter a higher level dimension. We're fantastic. You know the name. (laughs) The barriers and persist to climb. Many have traveled yeah. down the road that you're revived to take. Made many mistakes while searching for the perfect break. Years of hardships, grip jeans, a beauty face. You were there at the wrong time in the wrong place. Maybe next time when you ain't looking desperate, they'll be on you like a rash. Yeah, you guessed it. They want to know your name, where you're from, how long you've been an entertainer for, and who wrote the songs. Do you know Danny from Sony Oh my Micah Universal? Dawn from RCA, I met her at the dress rehearsal. Name check could get you recognized further. But in the meantime, trying to survive is murder. It's all a game to them, but to us, it's life or death. Or maybe they just lack a lot of depth. Or maybe they just don't understand what it means to record, how it feels to perform. But we go on. We are the young. Girl. Now you know the name, Unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> Clever, artistic. You're about to enter a higher level dimension. We're fantastic, dig dig. <laughs> now you know the name. brain <laughs> oh, waves are being cycled. On the streets, you recognize yeah. your names all over the town. You've been recorded for years and you're well renowned. Situations confuse you, bad luck pursues you. Promoters hire you for your services and use you. But fail to pay you, they aim to play you. My advice is play the games like they do. Who knows what's around the corner? It could be the break that you've been waiting for. As a performer, we sense something's about to happen. Keep it up, never give it up, no matter what the all might say. One day, it a pay off. watch the parasites, crowd around you like it's some sort of megastar. But in the meantime, trying to survive is murder and the conditions you're living in have never been worse. It's in your blood, you're addicted, nothing can change that, make you move, this is payback. We are the young now you know the name, Mark B. Blade. Crime, cut, we're fine, fine, fantastic, break the barriers and persist, decline. We are the young now you know the name, unstoppable, blah, Oh, just a good... brain waves are being stifled. Now you know the name. We're... Tasty, tasty, tasty,
3: I often tasty, find myself tasty, whistling tasty, this, I not tasty, the rap bit obviously, but I, I love the little riff to this, and we'll discuss that in more detail later on. But I remember this from about 2000, 2001. I thought part of my mind thought this, uh this had been Mercury nominated this album, but I don't think it was. But it was very much one of the albums that I listened to all the time at that time. Anyway, I remember walking down the lanes in Brighton once with a friend of mine, and it was just everywhere. You'd hear it wherever you went. Um, Mark B and Blade, a collaboration. from from 2001, and that from the album. Um, I think the album is called The Unknown, and that track is The Unknown. That's what a great track,
2: new to me. Um, and I immediately added it to my Spotify favorites list when I heard mm, it a that couple is of days endorsement. ago. Thank yeah, you, yeah, after you chose it for the podcast. Yeah, it's
3: um, a lovely tune. And there's, a, there's another one, or oh, yeah, the album is called The Unknown. Um, I don't think it was a hit, but there was another tune called You Don't See the Signs, which I think was quite big as well. Okay.
2: It seems that to be a superhero, you need to have an arch enemy, a nemesis uh, from my era. Um, Batman had the Joker, the Riddler, the uh-huh. Penguin, amongst others. Superman had several. The most notorious being Lex Luthor, uh, a mad scientist trying to destroy everything Superman held dear. Um I don't fully realise that people in real life also feel that they they must have a nemesis. And until I read an article this week in your The Guardian, mm, um, we, we
3: did, I'd be like to bring the content for you,
2: Terence. <laughs> and this was highlighting that the writer Ellie Hunt has written a book, "Why Everyone Needs a Nemesis: Harnessing Pettiness for Greatness," which is a <laughs> terrific title.
3: It's a wonderful title. That would almost, you know, I, I'm tempted to read it on that alone.
2: Now you're a bit of a superhero yourself Jules, do you have <laughs> uh, do you have a series of arch enemies who ha- you've defeated through your 5 and 30 years on this planet?
3: That is funny isn't it Well, In the same way that I, well, I once accused you of being the self-styled Sir Terrence but that yes. actually turned out to be false and I felt bad for weeks literally yeah, as a result good, of that good, good, I good. am actually a self-styled styled superhero in that my Twitter name for people that follow me will know it is SuperJules84 and no one's ever decreed the status of Super Jewels on me, I am very much a self-announced. There was some level of irony there, which doesn't come across very well online, it has to be said. Um, in terms of Nemesis or nemesite if we're having more than one, I'm not sure. Anyway, um, there's a lovely scene in the in The Simpsons. I know I always quote The Simpsons, but it says so much about life. And there is an episode where Bart finally manages to get Principal Skinner sacked o- over a uh, over an issue to do with him bringing his dog into school or something. He gets given the gets given the push. And and um, and Bart says to Lisa, oh, I don't understand why I'm feeling like this. You know, why do I feel so lost? And uh, Lisa says, you uh, you you lack a nemesis. Everybody leaves a nemesis in their life. Everybody needs someone to push against. Because what has happened in the meantime is that Ned Flanders has taken over the school and won't <laughs> discipline anybody, and it's running into the ground. And uh, Lisa and Lisa says, oh, you know, you didn't notice. Everyone's got one. Batman has, you know, the, the Joker. Lex, Lex Superman has Lex Luthor. Even Maggie. Has that baby with the one eyebrow? At which point you see Maggie being pushed in a pram with a baby who I believe is called Gerald with one large eyebrow, uh, shaking their fists at each other as they as they're pushed past. I, I I think when you're younger, having a nemesis or an enemy or something or someone to kick against is really important. I think I think when you're when you're when you're a youth and you really uh, you know there is that temptation, particularly if you know, which you're a teenager and you're you're sometimes a bit angry at the world. You really want to define define. define yourself you're trying to define yourself against stuff you're trying to work out what you're against as much as what you're for I think I think it's really easy and I think actually some of our modern politics at the moment I think is in a state of teenage paralysis because people are still stuck in that what am I against mode and people don't seem to have matured to the what is it what am I for mode there's a lot of you know raging negativity which I find to be quite immature actually my my raging negativity I I mean obviously call out stuff that's bad and I do that all the time all the time but this kind of you know oh you if you're not with us you're against us rah 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 I find that really I find that really draining actually so I like the idea of of you know of of when you're younger having some having something to define yourself against can to some extent be useful I think before you then get on to what are you for um so this uh this l Hunt article talking about um whether or not it's it's uh, in this book how can you can you be more effective and successful if you've got someone to define yourself against all I say to that, and I've had this in my life sometimes where I've had you know mostly former former managers who've been dreadful, frankly, who I am very cross about and still slightly am and and i I work in a small industry, so you have the opportunity to bump up against these people again and to compete in the same arena if you move other places part of me thinks oh yes you know that is good to be able to have something to drive yourself on to have goals as a goal-driven person, to use the rather uh, the terminology, I, I do like having that. But equally, I always, always remember, and this is a phrase that I use the most, and weirdly, it was taken from a review of Rid of Me by PJ Harvey in the NME, in which the author that wrote the review claimed to have been so shocked by the point at which Rid of Me actually burst into life that she crashed her car whilst listening to it and got <laughs> whiplashed. Whether or not that is true, I don't know. But she... It was, and I I, again, all of my fandoms are here this week. Simpsons, PJ Harvey. So, so PJ Harvey apparently, and I think she has talked about this in a limited way in interviews. Between the first and the second albums, had a bit of a breakdown where it all went, all got a bit too much, and her mum basically drove up to Tottenham where she was living, bunged her in the car, and drove her back down to the to the West Country where she kind of recovered, and. It, it, there was sort of speculation around the fact that rid of me was sort of slightly evidence of that, really that she was not in the greatest of places. And, and this reviewer said, and it was one line, she was probably just some woman in her twenties, but it was so profound. I don't know. She took it from somewhere else, but I always remember it. If the, if the, uh, if the fuel that you use to power yourself is negative, don't be surprised if the fumes off, it make you sick. think.
2: Sport has quite a rich vein of rivalries becoming yes. so intense that the participants uh end up seeing each other as their as then each other's nemesis i, I was thinking reminding myself of um Manchester United, there was the unique yes. situation of two players, Andrew Cole and Teddy Sheringham, yeah. disliking each other so much they didn't speak to each other and they were on the same team. Uh, Sebastian Coe and Steve Ovet many years ago in, in the Athletics, Rangers and Celtic, Arlie and Frazier, although that was felt a bit of a showbiz hatred. Yes, for the I think it was like. a bit, yeah. Uh, I, I've got many and varied faults, as we all know.
3: I, but, I, I, I don't think there are that many, to be honest. I think, I think, I think they fit on one side of A4.
2: One side of A4, <laughs> perhaps. Yes. If you if you wrote quite small, I was going to say it, if
3: you, you used all the lines, then yeah. 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 But um,
2: considering someone my nemesis or hating someone, it's it's that's not something I do. I think it's just such a waste of energy and time mm-hmm. if you don't get on with someone. Um, just move on if you can I know it's difficult in a a work environment but also I'm terrible at falling out with anyone if I was to say something (laughs) horrible to someone uh, you know to hurt them I just know I'd spend the next 10 years rerunning the situation in my mind and regretting it. It
3: shows that that side of A4 is perhaps not needed after all (laughs) but yes I I completely agree and I'm the same actually if I inadvert I'm very I just don't have that in my I mean no I get cross sometimes but I don't have that in my nature I don't have that spite in my nature and i I sometimes find it an unattractive trait even in, you know, people that I do love very much I must admit.
2: Just let it go, it's the only way in life I think um, Buying tickets for gigs, uh, football matches, anything really, How's that changed over the years? That's next, right after this splendid track from the Masonettes I found a place to live I got in the hard
0: way in the dread.
2: The very definition of one-hit wonders, but such a great homage to Motown that you can almost believe it came out of Detroit instead of Birmingham in the Midlands of England. Um, A terrific single, it reached number seven On the UK Top 40 in 1983, The Masonettes and Heartache Avenue.
3: And if I am, that is a great tune, by the way, and I'm enjoying our commitment to songs that you could basically go do-do-do-do to on the podcast as well. I didn't know, it's excellent. uh, That had a bit of a resurrection, actually, Heartache Avenue, because I'm sure when I was, I'm just looking it up now, when I was was around and about as a youth, it was sampled by a... um, sampled by rap team i think um i'm just trying to look to see heartache avenue there was a um there was a sort of a rap collective i think who sampled it and then did as 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 would be their wants. lots of rapping over the top um roll deep so roll uh, deep who who were a crew i think uh, speaking of, of of beefs i think there was uh I think it might have been Wiley's crew. There's Wiley and Dizzy Rascal are sometimes are somehow wrapped up in this, I think. And uh, yeah, they had a, a hit called um, called The Avenue, um, which came out. I'm not sure when they came out. It maybe about ten years ago. And right. and that uh, 2005. That's right, even longer than that. And that sampled The Avenue. So it just goes to show we're not the only appreciators of that tune.
2: I think their subsequent lack of success, it was often talked about at the time that it was most unfortunate that the lead, the singer of uh, the Masonettes, um styled his look on uh, Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper. Oh, I, for I,
3: goodness. Yes. It I, was I, very I've much a lookalike. Yes, yeah. I, that wasn't exactly a key for success at that time, was it really? It didn't
2: help very much. No. Um, Buying tickets to go to gigs or football matches, in many ways, it's never been easier. You go online, and provided you're not trying to buy tickets for the Super Bowl, the FA Cup final, or Kate Bush at Hammersmith Odeon, Mm. then the process is straightforward. Give your payment details, and rather wonderfully, you either print the tickets out at home, or better still, store them on your phone, and then just show them on the screen um, at the event. Um, But it hasn't always been that way. Now, back before the internet took over and made it so easy you often had to physically queue and often for hours and hours which was the case for me um chelsea reached the FA Cup final in 1994. Uh, we got thumped 4 0 by Manchester United and the rain didn't stop all day. So,
3: what a day bit. out that was, yeah. Yes, yes. Um,
2: so, but to get tickets, you had to queue up on a specific day and time mm. in the forecourt at Stamford Bridge, slowly working your way to the box office where you handed over your cash for the uh, the Villa much prize tickets. Indeed, and I, yes. I was with a group of friends and our time in the queue was enlivened by the fact that just a few people ahead of us in the queue was Gerry Adams, the then oh, leader of Sinn oh, Féin, yes. the then controversial political movement in Ireland. And we didn't know if that made us the safest of, uh, the, uh, <laughs> of people in the world or the uh, it was the unsafest location. has got to be time. one
3: way or the other, surely.
2: And it led to many jokes of very poor taste imagine, uh, amongst yes. us and people all around us. I remember we were relieved to get the tickets and go to the pub over the road, uh, safe and sound. I suppose in your lifetime, uh, ticket buying should all been rather smooth adjures the age of the internet for you
3: well yes yeah, so having said that I do miss the, the the days of being able to queue up and buy tickets I had done that before when I was at uni- I went to a, a university in Norwich the UEA in Norwich a fine institution I use that word deliberately because when you drive into Norwich there is a on the road sign it says welcome to Norwich a fine city which I think is <laughs> such a way of announcing it so, I remember yeah. being in university Sweet. holidays once and my phone started ringing back in the days before I had a smartphone before everyone was on their phones all the time my phone my mobile started ringing which is certainly unusual and I answered it, and it was my housemate who was um it turns out at a quiz summer because I went, Hi Alex, how are you? And he went, Jules, when you drive into Norwich and there's a big sign, it says, Welcome to Norwich, and then it said something else. What does it sound? I said, A fine city. And he went, Thanks very much, a fine city. <laughs> Thanks, Jules. Bye. And I thought, oh, he's a uh, he's at a quiz by yeah. the sound of it. But um, but so um so so I um I when I was at University of Norwich, that's what I, that's the story I'm trying to tell. was at University of Norwich, UEA was known. I went there because it was good for law and I just loved, I love East Anglia and it just felt like the right place to go and it was. But an added bonus of that was that being a very keen live music fan, as I was at the time and still am, um, UEA in Norwich was the sort of, if bands decided that, that they were going to play anywhere in East Anglia, they thought oh, we'll go to East Anglia on this tour and they were too big for the Cambridge Junction they would come to UEA because there were there was the UEA, the, the size is about 1,500 to 1,800. There was a venue called the Waterfront that was about 900. Um, there was the Norwich Arts Centre of about four or 500, um, famous for being where Nivana played the first UK gig and where um, Richie from the Manics carved for real in his arm in front of a rather horrified mm. Steve Lemack. Yes, so it has many moments in history. And so there were lots of venues you could go and watch. And in those days, you would often go into the venue to buy a ticket. And so the university box office um, was a place that you would drop by to buy tickets in the days. And I think that having box offices that you went to buy tickets from was a bit of a university thing. Apparently, um, I remember Swade being involved. Uh, Ricky Gervais was involved in Swades very early days because the bloke that kind of managed Suede worked with Ricky Gervais in one of the London University box offices, apparently. So I think it used to be a bit of a thing. And the, the disadvantage of buying tickets on the Internet is that you miss out on the wonderful conversation that me and my friend had. We went to buy a ticket for the Jeevas um, at Norwich Arts Centre, from the, which was um, uh, uh, Crispin, Crispin Mills from Koolish um Next Thing, That's if you see what right. I mean and we were going to go and it was the next night I think it was like a couple of days beforehand and we noted there were still tickets and my friends said like, would well, you want to go and see this yeah why not you know really likes Koolish like, let's go and give it a go and the the art centre was the sort of place where you could buy tickets it had the kind of bands where sometimes it sold out but you could sort of buy last minute tickets. I went to the Ravenettes last minute there once and really enjoyed it and so we rolled up to the box office and asked the woman who was a rather dry woman that ran the box office at that time behind the counter we could have tickets to see the Jeebas and she said unfortunately it's been cancelled because Crispin Mills is ill and we went oh that's a shame she went "Mm, I think it's that kind of illness where you don't sell enough tickets for your gig and I'm really sorry that if you're buying stuff online (laughs) that (laughs) you miss out you miss out on a dry women of the world who've seen it all before um slightly slightly mocking former pop stars for not having sold enough to get to their gigs yeah I, I I come from the sort of online world now it is incredibly easy it's much it's much easier not to lose tickets for things or not to forget things if you buy a ticket so I went to see um 90s band Pram who was still going in my hometown recently in St Leonard's which was lovely it was a great gig but I the way that I bought a ticket for that was the Facebook event was put up and my friends excitedly shared it when I went into the Facebook event it offered you an opportunity to get tickets so i bought tickets if are on Eventbrite or something like that and paid for them it put them in a wallet onto my phone as well as emailing them to me and then a couple of days before the gig facebook reminded me that i had tickets to go Ooh. to this gig yeah. and then it then during the day it said event tonight getting your tickets are available here so you could then go into the event and pull the tickets up it avoids a scenario whereby again when i was at university i was sat it, it was a week before my finals and i was sat in my room working on a saturday morning and a my housemate, again, Alex, knocked on my door and he said, hello, I've just come to see you because my mum's just texted me to ask us if we enjoyed sleeping last <laughs> night at which point our eyes met of the unused supergrass tickets that were pinned to my cork board where i had been so busy and he had been so tired that we had completely forgotten that that's oh, what we were meant to be no. doing i did get to see him in the end and happily they have now reformed but mm-hmm. the advantage of buying tickets online and linking it into everything in your calendar is it that you avoid that if you see what i mean it's yeah, I, I, that is very easy and convenient. But I think when we always have conversations about, you know, what does, you know, what does the modern world mean? What are we what are we gaining? What are we losing out on? I do miss the I do miss the inter- I still laugh at the every time I see some Crispin Mills or Kulisheka mentioned somewhere, I still laugh at the dry woman. Snarking about the fact that he hadn't sold enough tickets, and he, it had to be said, fairly low, low capacity, a Norwich Arts Centre. I there, there is something about queuing up. I think, and again, it's it's to do with when we talk about buying records as well. It's 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 the communal experience. I think. For example, getting to spot, you know, former political leaders in the queue, getting to <laughs> getting to hang out with people. There is something about it that is a great communal experience, I think. And I, I am sorry in a way that we are kind of missing out. Of course, there is always that um, there's always that risk that y- that you will you will get it. You will be the last one that doesn't have a ticket or something. What if the sold out sign goes up on the screen when you're two away from the front? I remember that the thrill of, and I can't believe I'm saying using the word thrilling. relation to Labour Party conference but anyway I went to Labour Party conference in 2012 and I had a there were black if you want to go and watch a leader speech which is Ed Miliband you had to have a black ticket I remember finding a black ticket so it was a little bit Willy wonker esque finding a black ticket in my conference card and thinking great okay then I'll go and the queue went all the way around the exhibition centre so I remember being in this queue and I remember being being let in And really struggling to find a seat, at which point someone shouted, oh, they've shut the doors behind us. So they then had two problems. A, they shut the doors so no one else could get in. And B, they then had to put us somewhere, which is how I ended up sat three roads from the front next to MPs because they didn't have anywhere else to put me. But I, I, there was, there, but there was something slightly through of knowing that other people hadn't got in and I had, which is very shat and freudy and unlike me, but I, I don't know. There's, there, there is something that we do miss out. I think we're not all queuing for tickets. Yes, it is incredibly convenient to be able to buy stuff on your phone and not forget to attend things. I find that aspect particularly useful, but I, you know, I, I, I would hate that we live in a world where the, and where the, I, I find it difficult that we live in a world where the capacity to interact with people in person is reducing and Maybe that is why, when we talked earlier about our online behaviour and how negative and how how you know how people think they can say anything, it's difficult to say something to someone's face, isn't it?
2: Yeah, very, very true. Well, way back in the way back in the seventies, there seemed to be, for some reason, less of a demand for tickets to to gigs, and there was a more leisurely approach. And rather astonishingly, looking back in 1973, my girlfriend and a couple of our friends just turned up to Hammersmith Odeon on the afternoon of David Bowie's now legendary Ziggy Stardust farewell gig. And we just bought four tickets. We, 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 it was just a few hours yes, before the that's game.
3: That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah.
2: Yeah, he just walked, we just walked up to the counter and said, um, four tickets for tonight. Now, fully expecting to be able to do so. It wasn't a surprise. You could generally get in to most things in those. But if you didn't go to the box office, there was the tedious business of having to visit one of a chain of record stores in London that sold tickets in advance. This was very common practice, mm. um, and you would you would exchange your fifty pence or a pound and a surly. Oh, that's ridiculous,
3: isn't would,
2: it? They would tear off rather like oversized lottery tickets, the tickets for Yes at Wembley or Deep Purple at the Royal Albert Hall or whatever. But of course, I, I was thinking about this that the advantage of those transactions is that you would have a ticket to keep as a souvenir and you really can't do that with a barcode on a phone no
3: it's true and actually i i um i've I got lots of friends that make collages of their mm. tickets and i've kept tickets you know i've still got my ticket on my fridge and i went to King in 2004 you know i do i do keep some of my stuff like you say the memento side of it is always very pleasant i think i think that's that's you know you can you can look at things and go oh i was there it's a it's a reminder although of course nowadays i was there recording on my phone and not watching the gear oh
2: yes that's right (laughs) waving an ipad in the air right
3: yeah it's a blocking out a v of people behind me
2: Now, you're no longer on Radio 2, most distressingly. No, I know. It's a
3: very odd, odd feeling. I've got a Saturday afternoon to do what I want with. Well, how will you
2: keep yourself entertained this week?
3: Well, I'm very, very fortunate to have a nice little private gig. You see, anyone that ever wants to book me to DJ, this is the dream gig for me. I'm doing a wedding for people I know. It doesn't have to be for people I know. The The venue is 10 minutes from my house. Mm-hmm. Um, it's at the the wedding. There are music on, and then I'm doing uh, rec- what's described as recorded music because they are two lovely fo- uh, lovely um chaps of a certain age. So they would like recorded music by me from 7 until 10. It is mostly it's a it, uh, the, the, the dress code and the kind of the general sort of vibe is cocktail so it's basically cocktail jazz bossa nova little bit of twangy 60s that sort of thing no dancing finishes at 10 and i get fed what you know? What what more could you ask from a gig terrace? I know that you Ideally. hate jazz and instrumentals, mm-hmm. so so it's for you this is the ideal gig because you don't have to attend it. But um, yes, and for me it's, it's the best. ideal gig because I get to do it. So looking forward to doing that this evening. And then it's my rock and roll book club next week, um, where we are reading Cold Black Mornings by Brett Anderson from Swade. Oh, okay. And and um, that usually involves us sitting in the pub drinking a lot and then an hour and someone goes, oh yeah, did you read this? Which I think is every book club ever, isn't it?
2: Very sensible approach. Very Mm. sensible. Um, Thanks very much um, for for listening. Mm. Um, It's really great that you're there. Really, really appreciate it. Um, Thanks to Hilly and Rona for some work behind uh, the scenes. And um, a bit of a theme to the two tracks you've chosen this week George yes. and here's the second
3: I've, one I've got quite into sampling at the moment and the, and the idea of spotting samples and enjoying samples in different in different kind of uh, different sort of songs so I thought having enjoyed The Unknown I didn't actually ever know earlier on where where the, where the sample came from so I looked it up because I was trying to look up something else to do with them and whosample.com is an excellent resource by the way if you're into this and, and it, it turns out that it came from this song which I'd never heard before and once i heard it i thought well this this is really good and it's a bit it's a bit lost to the point where um this person doesn't seem to have any albums um there was nothing that I could find on iTunes I couldn't find anything else at all all I could really find was th- this version of the track which luckily was the one I wanted to. it seems to be the uh, uh, to continue with the kind of one hit wonder theme that we had mm. earlier it seems to be the only track that this person is known for and it was I found it on legend legend of a mind which is a sort of an underground 60s and 70s album and I, I just love this I love the fact that that it's it's quite long but if you just sort of stick with it it's got a real groove and i think it's brilliant so this is sampled by mark b and blade and um, this is um Zacarius and the unknown years we are
4: the unknown years, by the ruler's mercy the, moon is the sunlight
3: been listening to a Parish Council production.